Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. What a blessing. Enjoy the music at our church. Always do. And whatever that is. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We'll just title this, Brother Adam. I know you're looking for a title of Paul's Command. How about that? Paul's Command. Philippians chapter 3. I enjoy Sunday night. I enjoy looking out of the congregation and seeing families sitting together. I enjoy that. I think it's good that, yeah, <laughs> Miss Linda has her family down here. Enjoy. I, I think it's important that mom and dads and, and kids sit together. I think families are missing out when they miss Sunday night and some of them miss Sunday night because they don't want to put up with their kids out here with them, which is just ridiculous and preposterous. And if you have a kid that kind of rowdy, you can sit at the back like what you should do with Micah. <laughs> sit at the back and take them out and apply the Board of Education when they need it. And bring them back in and try again. We've got the little TVs on the side, too. You can watch on the, in the, uh, if you need to. But it's important. It's important our children learn to sit. It's important. I think it's important, and I don't mean to be selfish here, but I think it's important that the children get to hear the pastor preach. And if they're always in children's church and, and uh, always in the uh, master's club and other uh, ministries, which are all important and good ministries, I think it's still very important that they get to hear uh, the pastor preach. And uh, whether it's me or Brother Wiggins preaching from the pulpit, that they're, that they're here. Amen? I, I just believe that's important. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. Love that thought. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this time we can come and gather around the word. We pray, God, that you would help us tonight as we study, that you would uh, just uh, reveal to us uh, the meanings of Paul's writings here. God, we'd be encouraged by it and challenged. And Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it this thing messing up? Hmm. I love sound systems. They're amazing. Did you see me stick my tongue out when I was doing that? <laughs> that was a commercial. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. The book of Philippians, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy, but more than that is joy produced by selflessness. Joy produced by selflessness. Paul, and remember if it's in prison, probably either chained to a Roman soldier, he's under house arrest, and uh, he's in prison, but yet you never see him talk about his predicament. You never hear him complain. You never, you never see him in any way or shape, fashion, or form uh, to be selfish. And so Paul's looking out for others. He is an example of this selflessness. 
In chapter 1, we have Christ is my life. Christ is my life and the, as the theme. He said, therefore, me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In chapter 2, we have Christ my mind. He said there in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, the theme of the chapter is Christ our goal. Christ our goal. And if you remember, he said there in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that we are to be pressing toward that mark. In chapter 3, he warns against legalists and Judaizers and false teachers. In fact, he goes as far as to call them dogs. I mean, he gets it down there where the rubber meets the road. He, doesn't, he pulls no punches. He warns against having confidence in the flesh, verses 4 through 8. By the way, confidence in the flesh when it comes to salvation. We should have no confidence in our flesh. We cannot keep the law without fail. And therefore, we are under the penalty of the law. And therefore, we need Christ for salvation. But not only uh, for salvation should we not trust in our flesh, but for our sanctification. In other words, for our living. Salvation is by grace through faith, but so is our living. And so we must remember that we should not have confidence in this old flesh. And Paul had no confidence in his flesh. By the way, he said what? I am the chiefest of sinners, he said. And uh, he said in Romans 7 that he had a war within him. That uh, to do good and to do bad. And it was a constant struggle in Paul's life. And listen, Paul wrote over half the New Testament. And if, he, and if it was a problem for him, it's certainly a problem for us. It's certainly a problem for you. And so we must remember to have no confidence in this flesh. And that we should be humble as Paul was humble. And Paul, verses 9 through 11, desired to know him at the expense of everything else. I do count them but dung, he said, that I might win Christ that I might know him and the fellowship of his suffering and so forth. So Paul had a desire to know Christ, just as David did. David said, as the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And we as Christians, we as believers should have a yearning and a longing to know God, to know him more, to know Jesus Christ, our Savior. Why? In order that we might imitate him. That we might imitate him. We know him in order that we might imitate him. In verses 12 through 16, he humbly admits that he has not arrived. Remember that? Look at verse, uh, we'll look back at a little bit there. He says, not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect. Verse 13, brother, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the high coming of God in Christ Jesus. Let us throw forth as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if any and anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. So Paul humbly admits that he had not arrived, but was pressing toward the mark. And that mark is Jesus Christ. Listen, when we got saved, we entered a race. Paul uses that illustration multiple times. We entered the race and that salvation experience, that time in which we accepted, was the launching pad uh, for our Christian life. And we are now in a marathon. It's not a sprint. The Christian life is not a sprint. I am a sprinter. I am not a long-distance runner. I like to run like 20 yards. Somebody was asking me the other day, some of our guys have gotten, gotten into these three-mile runs and all that kind of stuff. We now call them three-mile walks for me. We might, you never know, I might show up. But I am a sprinter. I am not a long-distance runner. My brother was, my sister was, and they were very good at it. But the Christian life is a long-distance run. It's a marathon. And Paul said, I press toward the mark. He said, I press toward the finish line. The finish line is Jesus Christ. And the application there is, is to be like him. 
That's the finish line. It's to be like Jesus Christ. And we're constantly pressing toward that mark of to, to be like Him. In order to be like Him, we must know Him. And by the way, we must move past past failure. Sometimes we get to looking at how we have, <laughs> how we have fallen and how we have failed. And it keeps us from moving forward in the Christian life. Listen, we, we will fail. We will fall. And it's up to us, by way of the Holy Spirit, to get up and continue in the race. Amen? And listen, it, it will happen. And we must focus on Jesus Christ. And Paul was simply saying, I have not attained the mark. I have not arrived. I am simply pressing towards the mark. And uh, listen, you have not arrived and I have not arrived. We're just continually pressing toward the mark to be like Jesus Christ. That is our ultimate goal, to glorify God and, and enjoy the relationship with God forever. Now Paul has a command and a warning and a reminder to us. The command is there found in verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me. I like how he says brethren. This word simply means united to one another by a bond of affection. We around here call each other brother. I mean, I call brother Lassiter, brother Clark. And when I, in the church I grew up in, uh, we used to call him sister, sister Ryan. Sister, we don't do that much anymore. I don't know why that kind of was dropped, but it is church lingo. So some of you who are kind of new to our church, maybe new to Christianity, it's church lingo. Church lingo simply means we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And though you might not want to go to the workplace and use that church lingo, and that finds you a little bit strange, but around here, I'm going to continue to call it Brother Kirby and Brother Wiggins and Brother Clark, and I'm going to... We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And so it's, a, it's an affectionate bond that we have because we are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Church lingo. I like that. Church lingo. Brethren, he says, be ye followers. Be followers. That word be is an imperative verb. It means it's command. It's not a suggestion. Right? It's not a suggestion. Paul's saying be followers. Be followers. It's a command. Followers. That word followers means an imitator of others. Imitator. He says, be therefore followers, imitators of me. Of me. You say, well, preacher, that's a little strange that he would say that. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul says, I write these things to your shame, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, whom is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of the ways which be of Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. He says there to the Corinthian church, Be ye therefore followers of me. Basically he's saying, take me as a model. Follow me as I follow Christ. By the way, wouldn't he be the exalted example of a pastor? Paul, uh, uh, Paul the Apostle? Example, great example of a soul winner. Great example of a sinner. Great example of one who is humble, contrite, lowly. I mean, in all the areas, we see that he is a good example. And someone worthy to follow. Worthy to follow. So he's not being egotistical here. We know that by the rest of this book. In no way is he being egotistical. He's simply saying you should be able to look at my life and follow me as I follow Christ. We should be able to say the same thing about our own lives. 
We should be able to tell our children, follow me as I follow Christ. We should be able to tell our grandchildren, follow me as I follow Christ. Be therefore followers, imitators. Paul was an imitator of Christ. So should we be imitators of Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says there, be their followers of me and mark them, mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example or in sample. That word mark means to look to or observe, fix one's eyes upon. We should look to those who follow Christ. Listen, there are those in this church who would be good examples to follow. There are, the, there are men in this church that I, I look up to and, and certainly in many areas would follow. And that's what he's saying here. Look to others who are examples and follow them. We can go back and we can look at examples of the past. J. Frank Norris. We can look at past Charles Haddon Spurgeon. We can look at past George Mueller, the great um, preacher there in, in England who had this, the orphanages. And we can look back at, at, at D.L. Moody and, and anyway, great people of the past, great Christians of the past, Billy Sunday. And we can follow their example. I'd encourage you to have your children read these biographies. And by the way, you ought to read a biography once a year or something. It would encourage you like crazy. Wonderful. I, I at least read two or three every year. It's, it's amazing what it'll do for your soul to see what great Christians of the past have done. Mark them. Observe them. Keep your eye on them. And, and absolutely men will fail you. I know of preacher friends and preachers that have failed me. And so do you. And, and no preacher's perfect. And so, but we should follow them. It, it's, it's a part of what Paul's saying here. And that we look out for those who examples. I have men that I respect and who I go to for advice. And y'all know that. And Brother Eddie Johnson and Brother Webster and others that I go to. Brother Dave Hardy and men that I go to and, and that I want to follow. And follow their example. And so we should follow them. That's what it says, isn't it? Mark them which walk so as you have them, us for an example. Now well, who's us there? He's talking about Timotheus. And those who walked and followed uh, Paul on that road, mark them. Look to faithful men. Look to faithful women of the past and present. We have the Heritage Hall of Faith here on the, uh, in the hallway on the east side of the building to remind us of the great Christians who have set the example for us and we should follow them. They're not perfect by no means, but we can follow them. Secondly, we see a warning. Not only do we have the command to be followers of Paul, but we should have a warning here. He, he goes on to state this. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, there are bad examples. There are false brethren. In 2 Corinthians, I'm going to turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 13. The Bible says, Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth, but what I do, I will not. First Corinthians chapter 11. Maybe not Second Corinthians chapter 11. Sometimes you write down a wrong reference. It never, that's never happened. It happened in a while. You know what? I wrote down the right reference. I was reading the wrong one. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. That's what I wrote down. Look there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if he 
if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. We must remember that there are people among us who are disguised, who have disguised themselves. There are false brethren amongst us that we must be careful about. You say, well, at Heritage Baptist Church, I don't know if there's any here or not. There may be. But there are many false teachers that we must be, and that's what Paul's warning about. Be careful. And he warned about that in the first of the chapter as well. He's called them dogs. And, and be careful of those. By the way, the Bible says there that their end is destruction. <laughs> By the way, he wept over them. He wasn't delighted that he could say, hey, there are false teachers among you. No, he wept over it. Why? Well, one reason why is because their end is destruction. That word destruction there is, is speaking of hell. So he understands that they face eternity in hell, and he wept over that. He also wept over their, their impact upon Christians around him, their negative impact. Well, we must be careful. The warning is take heed that there are false teachers among us. And he goes on to say in verse 19 that they ruled by their sensual and shameful and secular. They are ruled by their bellies. And the glory is their shame. They mind earthly things. In this day and age, there are multiple, multiple false teachers. You turn on any TV, you can hear them. I, I want to encourage some of our new believers. Listen, if, you, if you're expecting to turn on the television and hear a, a preacher that's worth his salt, you're sadly mistaken. There's not many. If you're going to turn it on, make sure you turn it on to a, a TV preacher who's a pastor. That'll help you. Most of the pastors on TV who are pastoring a church, not some organization, not, not some entity, but uh, Brother Jeffers in Dallas and some of these you can listen to who are, who are right down the line, preach the gospel. Those are, those are men. Be very careful. There are multiple false teachers on TV, multiple false teachers on the radio. There are very few people you can listen to on the radio these days. Be careful. It'll influence you. You may not think of it, but it'll influence you. What, what, goes in, what, what you allow inside influences you. We must be very careful. Paul's just warning them. And I warn you tonight, as, as your shepherd, be careful. Be careful. If they don't follow this, don't follow them. If they don't follow this, don't read them. If they don't follow this, don't listen to them. Amen. Don't do it. It'll influence you. By the way, their end is destruction. And that's speaking again of hell. And then... Tonight, the reminder. I love this part. He says, For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our conversation is heaven. Our citizenship's in heaven. That word conversation normally means our manner of lifestyle. But in this case, the, the Greek word here means citizenship. Citizenship. That while here on earth that our citizenship's truly in heaven. Oh, Johnny Flanagan has that song, I'm already over on the other side, waiting for my brand new body. Sitting up there in the heavenly fair on the right hand of the Father. My citizenship's in heaven, I'm living in Christ, you see. For I'm already over on the other side, waiting for my body to be. Well, I took a look in the old black book and it threw me in. My citizenship's in heaven, I'm living in Christ, you see. I'm already over on the other side waiting for my body to be. Listen, our citizenship's in heaven. Our conversation, our citizenship's in heaven. 
we must remember to set our affections on things above. We, we are looking for his return, right? Our hope, our blessed hope. From whence also we look for the Savior. We look for him to return. We're looking for him. Our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. And by the way, we should be reflectors of that heavenly citizenship. The Bible says we are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And I'll, we'll go over that in a moment. But remember that we are ambassadors. We should reflect the heavenly citizenship. We are pilgrims in a foreign land. We're just passing through. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We're just pilgrims passing through. Our citizenship's in heaven. Again, we should remember that our conversation, our citizenship's in heaven, and we should be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. That our manner of living should be that as becometh the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope. Looking for his return. We should be reflectors of the sun. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he said, you are the light of the world. And we should be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, yes, I'm a citizen of America, but I have dual citizenship. I'm a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. And therefore, I am an ambassador of that heavenly kingdom. And I should act like it. Amen. I should look like it. When the world sees me, they should see Jesus in me. When they look at me, it's important. People say, well, it's not, it's not important how you look on the outside. It's, the Bible says, you know, it's on the inside. Well, sure, but the inside reflects the outside. Or the outside reflects the inside. Well, it ought to be different. We ought to look different as Christians. I don't know about you, but an ambassador looks like an ambassador. Amen? Amen. Man, I could go off right here. Man, honestly, I don't get how Christians can go get a tattoo. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's it's hard for me. So, well, you know, you know what? I'm an ambassador of the king. I don't know how a Christian can walk into Billy Bob's. I don't I don't get that. I'm an ambassador of the king. I don't think an ambassador of the king would walk into a bar. I just don't get that. I'm an ambassador of the king. I'm, I'm going to be careful where I go, what I do, how I look. I'm going to be an ambassador of the Lord. My citizenship's in heaven. I'm going to be careful. Others are watching me. Others are looking at me. By the way, we can get, I can sometimes get on the soapbox and get caught up with the appearance. But listen, it's just as important your attitude as well. Man, they meet a Christian grumpy. Ugh. No, we ought to be the happiest people on earth. Heaven's our home. I'm a citizen of heaven. Jesus is my Savior. Man, I, man, people ought to know that I'm a Christian and I'm a happy person. Well, how are you doing today? Well, pretty good under the circumstances. Well, why are you under those? You're supposed to be on top of those. Hey, man, the sun's always shining above the clouds. You could be living in China right now. You could be living in Saudi Arabia. You could be living in Yemen. You can be living in southern Iraq and northern Syria. I'm so thankful how God's been so good to me. And, and you know, my life isn't always hunky-dory. But it's great compared to many others. And let us be reminded that we are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will affect 
how we live and how we look and how we present ourselves. And we should be lights in this crooked and perverse nation. Why? Looking for that blessed hope. He says there, looking for whence cometh. I'm going to get back over there. From whence also we look for the Savior. That word look for means to eagerly wait for. Eagerly wait for and to anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming again. He is coming again. I, I was reminded as I sat in my office today that I need to be more careful about explaining some of these truths. I, I, sometimes I've been saved since I was six and raised in a Christian home. And sometimes I take for granted that people know what is happening. So turn to Acts chapter 1. Turn to Acts chapter 1 real quick. Verse 11. So we have here Jesus after his resurrection. He gives the command to the disciples to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 8. And when he had spoken these things, verse 9, I'm going to let you get there. We're looking for Christ's return. We're eagerly anticipating his return. In John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again. I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again. Here we see, it says there in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, taken up, and, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He will come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. We are looking for Jesus' return. We are looking for, we're eagerly anticipating his return. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Just a few pages over to the right. First Thessalonians chapter 4, familiar passage to most of us. Verse 13, but I would not have you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now Paul is referring to those which are dead. He uses that word asleep for Christians who have died. We're not talking about soul sleep here. We're talking about someone who has physically died, but yet (laughs) their soul and spirit never die, the Bible says. And so Paul refers to them as asleep. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep or those which have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. He's coming again. He's coming again in like manner. As they saw him received into heaven, so he, he will return. And this time he will return um, and he will rapture out those who have been saved. That could happen today. 
we believe, the Bible teaches, in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And that we are to be attentive and patiently wait for his return. He could return today. All prophecies have been fulfilled that need to be fulfilled in order for him to return. We have the rebirth of Israel. All the things that have, have taken place. All the negative things that are also going on around us. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. We see all the signs. In the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And on down through the list. We are living in that day. He's coming again. The next event to happen is the rapture. By the way, we are pre-millennial, pre-tribulation Christians. Because the Bible is pre-tribulation, pre-millennial Christians. Amen? Amen. And those false teachers who would teach about the mid-trib and the post-trib and the pre-wrath trib and the post-wrath trib, and well, they can be false teachers all they want. The Bible says that we are not appointed under wrath. In reference to the rapture, in reference to the, in, in reference to the seven-year tribulation, we are not appointed to wrath. Listen, during the rapture, God is going to pour down His wrath on mankind. And God is going to judge mankind. And God is saying, listen, you are not going to go through that rapture. You're not, you're not going to go through that, that pouring out of my wrath. Amen. Amen. Mm. I'm looking for the shout. Aren't you? I'm looking for the shout. The trumpet of God. When we will receive, the Bible says there, verse 21, and we shall change, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby. Listen, he's going to take this vile body and he's going to change it. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I know some of you, you've heard this before, but we must remember there's some here who may not. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What a wonderful truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die. There are going to be some of us who may, if the Lord returns, we won't physically die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, I show you a mystery. He says, we shall all be changed in the moment of a twinkling of an eye. And this corruptible body shall put on incorruption. One day, the Lord will return, as he said he would, in the clouds. And the trumpet will sound. I believe that's his voice. And whether he says, come up hither, it'll sound as a trumpet. And those who are saved... Those who've accepted Christ as Savior will be caught up, raptured up, to meet Him in the clouds. And those who are dead in the grave, who've accepted Christ as Savior, those Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints who have trusted in the Savior, have trusted in the Messiah as their only means of salvation, the Bible says they, their bodies will be raised up. And that soul and that spirit which is in heaven now will be reunited with that body and that body will be changed from a corruptible body to an incorruptible body. 
from a vile body to a glorious body. A body like Jesus. Understand tonight that at the right hand of the throne of God, tonight sets the Lord Jesus Christ. A man sets at the right hand of the throne of God. If you were there and you were to view the throne room of God, you would see a man sitting there. Jesus Christ. Nail-pierced hands. Scar in His side. Nail-pierced feet. Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. But that body He's in, though it's scarred, is not a body like ours. Mm. Our body gets sick. Our body, our body gets old. Our body... groans and complains and hurts and right the body that we receive at the moment of a twinkling of an eye will be a new body it'll be a glorious body you can go read there in first john 3 2 it says and we will see him and we will be like him first john 3 2 brand new body <laughs> Uh, when Jesus is here on earth, you know, he could walk through walls. It's going to be pretty cool. He could appear and disappear. He could still eat. Thank the Lord. What a body. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death, but a glorified body. That's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to that exchange from that vile body to that glorious bottle that that exchange from that sin cursed body to the glorified body bodies like jesus what a day that'll be number one we must remember he commanded us to be followers of him be ye therefore followers of me certainly we should be followers of jesus christ ambassadors of the lord jesus christ our citizenships in heaven then he warns against false brethren. And listen, we must be careful. We must be vigilant. The adversary of the devil walketh about seeking who may devour. There are absolutely false teachers among us. We must be careful. And then he reminds them that Jesus is coming again. By the way, if you really believe he's coming again, it will impact your walk. It will impact your manner of lifestyle. It will impact your conversation. And as we press toward the mark, as we press toward the mark to be like Jesus Christ, to know Him and, and, and to grow closer to Him, we must understand that He will return for us. He's going to return. Don't lose faith. Don't be discouraged. Take comfort in knowing that He's coming again. It could be tonight. By the way, live for Him. Trust that He will guide you and lead you. He's coming again. What a great reminder for us tonight. Amen. Let's all stand. Hymn 155, Have Thine Own Way, Lord.